Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to see you. I hope you're cool enough. It's a very, very, very warm day, uh, and we've done what we can. But uh, I've got a lovely fan behind me, actually. I've got the best seat in the house, just to make you all feel better. Uh, but it's great to, uh, to have you with us. It's great to have people joining us uh, online as well to take a deeper dive uh, into Haley's theme. It's great to have uh, Haley with us. Now, do you go by Rev Haley these days, or...? Quite like that, yeah. Rev yeah. You've dropped the young. Is there any reason? I just, basically, it fits in with my hashtag. As long as it fits with the hashtag. Yeah. But hey, it's great, so great to have you. Really looking forward to, to chatting with you tonight. And Mark, great to have you as well. Thank you. This is Mark Fairweather Tall from the uh, South Wales Baptist Association uh, Regional Ministry Team. Long name, long team title. That's really good. Uh, I want to start with a quick apology. If anybody uh, found this podcast thinking it was going to be about carpentry, building a bigger table, it's not <laughs> going to be talking about that uh, tonight. Although, are you any good at DIY? No, no, not at all. Sorry. No. Mark, have you? Um, I, I like to dabble a little bit, but I would only ever do it in my own home because at least if it goes wrong, it's my, my mess to sort out. What's the biggest thing you've ever made? Well, um, probably the biggest thing we've done recently is a bit of a garden makeover where it was all decking and all wood. um, And we've grassed it over, which is really nice now. And are you available for hire? Um, Yeah, whenever. Yeah, just let me know. Hang on, hang on. I saw the pictures of that. Jenny, your wife was doing all the work, and you were taking the photo. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. Jenny, I'm so sorry. So, so sorry. Uh, So we're going to uh, just start by watching a Fieldcast video that introduces Hayley's presidential theme for this year, uh, which is building a bigger table. And then we'll have a chance to to chat with you and to chat together about that theme. Uh, If you want to, at any point, sort of join in the conversation, make a comment, raise a concern, ask a question, uh, please just come and uh, use the mic there, which is placed rather ominously in the middle of the aisle, but, but we are quite friendly, so just come and ask. Uh, or if people are watching uh, online as well, and a few people have said hi, which is great, uh, then uh, please do feel free uh, to type a question in there, and we'll try and pick it up and uh, feed that in as well. Uh, so we're going to take a moment just to open in prayer, and then we're going to watch this, uh, this video together. So let's just pray. Well, Father God, we thank you for this incredible day. It's a beautiful day. And Lord, if creation, your handiwork is this beautiful, how beautiful, how awesome it is. And Lord, we thank you that you are the God of creation and that you are still at work restoring, recreating, renewing all things in Christ. And we marvel at the role that you invite us and call us uh, to play in that. Just thank you so much for it. Thank you for the chance to be together tonight, Lord, to uh, take a deep dive into a really important question for us as, as church right now, a really important question as, as God's people uh, about who's welcome and how do we spread that message? How do we create a table where people can come and meet with you, Jesus, and know you and know your grace? Uh, and so, Lord, we, we want to pray that you'd be part of this time together. Uh, thanks for everyone that's here. Thanks for everyone that's joining us. Thank you for all the ways in which you've been speaking to and and using them. And uh, we just ask, Lord, that somehow this conversation tonight might be a conversation with you and be a part of the the bigger conversation that you're wanting to have with us. Uh, So we just pray that you'd be present tonight to bless, to guide, uh, to speak, to prompt, to inspire, to challenge, 
uh, and that, Lord, somehow we would spend this time in you and for you and with you. Uh, and we pray that together in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is Fuelcast. Jesus sets the table. Hi, I'm Hayley. Welcome to Fuelcast. What strikes me most when I read the Gospels is Jesus' table ministry. The way he so often used the act of sharing a meal, the act of breaking bread, as a way of letting people know that they are seen, heard, known and respected. Jesus uses these common moments to house the sacred. Everything sort of becomes a living parable to illustrate the tangible reality of the spiritual. The table was an altar around which he welcomed the world to experience communion with God and with each other. We easily forget that faith is a relational experience. It is almost impossible to move into Christ-likeness without other people to extend compassion and mercy and love or to receive those things from others. Most startling was the diversity of Jesus' table. He gathered with priests and prostitutes, with the religious elite and the common street rabble, with his disciples and his adversaries. How many of us can say we're willing to gather with those who dislike or oppose or displease us? That we would seek fellowship with those who we perceive to be our enemies. But they're there. And at that big table, they're all treated with equal dignity. And they all left Jesus present with their dignity intact, even if sometimes he had harsh words for them. More than in today's culture, in Jesus' time, the act of sharing a meal with someone was an act of respect, of association with another, of willingness to be in fellowship. It was seen as a public endorsement. Because of this, the diverse people who Jesus chose to share a meal with made others really angry. The religious elite were quoted as saying several times, look at him. This man eats with sinners. While we don't see it mentioned in the Bible, I imagine that the street people often criticise Jesus for breaking bread with the Pharisees too, accusing him of conspiring with their oppressors or contributing to their marginalisation. This is the tension we're called to live in as we seek to create conversations where there's been silence as we try to build relationships where there's been distance. When we try to expand the table, we will invariably be pulled in all sorts of directions by those wanting to claim ownership rather than extending grace to the other. Jesus didn't meet only with those who could further his cause or those who would boost his platform. He had mates in low places too. That was the strategic beauty of Jesus' scandalous, diverse guest list. By not being selective with his invitation, 
Jesus affirms the value of his desperate meal companions to them and to those who are watching from a distance. In a world where we so often are content to preach to only those who agree with us, to wall ourselves off in an echo chamber of our menning cheerleaders, Jesus models a better way. He fully engages all sides and teaches them about one another in the process. For him, the table is a tool of connection. It transcends difference. It bridges disagreement. It declares the other is welcome and worthy of hearing. This is the heart of the gospel, the ever-expanding hospitality of our God. Who are you extending radical hospitality with today? to pick up on there. So this theme, building a bigger table, uh, I mean, it was great that you decided to film that in a room with no table in at all. It looked like you'd been robbed. I've made up for it now. <laughs> you got two tables, neither <laughs> particularly big, but we, you do have them. Uh, tell us a little bit where that theme sort of came from, the initial idea, the, the spark behind it. I guess it's our diversity as a Baptist movement that, that is there. And for me, there are two levels to building a bigger table. There's building a bigger table within our structures and our movement and our togetherness. Um, and how do we do that? Um, and there's also that in, in our mission field, actually, I think because now most people aren't brought up in church or have any comprehension of, of God, what we have to do is create connection points. And the best way to do that, I think, is connecting over a meal. Um, so we played around with a few uh, ideas about pulling up a chair in a bar, but building <laughs> a table seems to be the one that, that stuck. It's, um, it's an important theme because I think at the moment um, things do feel or can feel very polarised. And so people have very, very strong opinions uh, about certain things and creating safe sp spaces to meet and to talk. And I, I love the phrase about Jesus used the table ministry to let people know they were seen heard, known, and respected mm. um, is, is so important. And I guess for maybe a lot of us, um, you know, if you were to ask us, is your church a welcoming church? I don't know of anybody that would say, no, 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 we, we don't want to be a welcoming church. We all think we're welcoming spaces. Um, and yet there do seem to be these sort of um, invisible sort of barriers and, and, and boundaries. And it, it's, it's being helped to see those and to, to know how we build from there, isn't it, I think? Yeah, can I just pull up on one thing? You said safe space. So I, I actually think hanging out with Jesus wasn't a safe space because he challenged people and he called them to, to radical life. But it was a diverse space. So it's a space where different views, and I think sometimes when we think about safety, we think about our own comfort. And actually Jesus doesn't call us to a place of our own comfort. He calls us to a place of diversity. So I, th I think for me, church, if it's not safe, and please hear me wrong, it, it, does, it can't be dangerous, but, but in terms of 
when we come into Jesus' presence, we need to be challenged. But, you know, let Jesus do that. The church doesn't need to do that. Um, so that's the kind of diversity in it. I think what we've done is we've created all these invisible barriers for well-meaning reasons. But basically what we've done is we've not modelled things. So we wonder, you know, why, why is there no females in spaces? And you think, well, look at what, what church is modelled. If, if women come in, if young girls come in, and all they see is men from, from the pulpit, from the stage being involved, of course that puts in uh, an image. If, uh, if uh, black indigenous people of colour don't see anyone, I mean, we're talking about building a bigger table, and, and we're all white, and there's, some, there's something in that. But, but that's not, none of that starts out intentional, but it's what we, it, it's laziness, basically, and it's what we model. So I think those create the invisible barriers for us. And, and I think with, within that as well, one of the things I've come to recognise is I've never had a problem with being at the table and being listened to. I've been brought up in Baptist churches all my life. Uh, I know how Baptist churches tend to work. I, I'm comfortable when I come and meet with people. So, so everything is very natural for me. I, and that is perhaps something that a lot of people find. If I've been to church and this church for... 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 or more years, I know how it works. But there are many people who come in, they, they don't know how it works. And then how do I even get heard? And, and then I can feel like I don't have that space. And, and as Hayley says, well, what's modelled is, you know, I've, I have a space at the table because I probably fit the quite classical person who would be in ministry. Uh, and there's many who don't, and then it's more difficult for them. So I have to recognise I've never faced the barriers and the issues that some other people face. Yeah. I think what you'd said earlier about um, a diverse space rather than, mm. a, <coughs> excuse me, rather than a safe space, uh, you mentioned something on the video that was quite interesting about uh, people left with their dignity intact, even if you'd had to say some quite challenging things. Um, and I, th I think that's quite an interesting thing in a culture where um, offence is like the worst thing you can do is to offend somebody. Um, how do we have welcoming spaces, but also truth, you know, faith-filled spaces uh, is a massive challenge as well. Yeah, and I guess that, that's where we really need to lean in on the Holy Spirit. Because mm. actually, you know, it's, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict and, and challenge, and we just have to do that. And yes, people get words of knowledge and prophecy and all those, but that's where it has to be done in loving community. Mm. And actually... Yeah, Jesus had some really harsh words, and yet people still wanted to be close to him and in his presence. So it's all it's about earning the right to speak into people's lives. So if we journey together, if we know one another, if people know that you love them and your heart for them, it's easier to have some difficult conversations yeah. rather than this is the first time I've met you, yeah. so therefore I'm going to tell you all this about you. Yeah. You know, it, it, we have to earn the right to speak into people's lives. And I guess what you'd said about modelling as well is, is actually, ma you know, it's not a small little detail, that's actually massive uh, in terms of going forward, is, is how will people, because um, it, very often the culture of the place is the unspoken stuff, isn't it? It's not the stuff that you can read on a website uh, or look up in a constitution. We can all write, you know, lovely things or clever things. Mark's smiling, he loves constitutions, isn't it? <laughs> um, but it's, it, the culture of the place is the unspoken. Um, yeah, we were aware we had Hayley for lunch today. Oh, Hayley came for lunch today. Uh, and um, when, when, you, um, when you have someone come over, you're suddenly hoovering, tidying up. I, I put stuff away in the garden that hadn't been, 
The house was tidy, okay. thank you, thank you. Uh, and the food was, was amazing, um, wasn't it? It was, yeah, it was lovely, thank you. Love, lovely. Lovely. We're going, we're going lovely. We're, we're going classic church word, <laughs> lovely. Um, but when you have someone sort of new in your space, you sort of see it differently, don't you? You notice stuff that you don't normally notice, and um, maybe that's what we need, is that outside eye, that outside perspective. Mm. Yeah. yeah it, it's like, you know, if, if most Christians went into a, into a bookie's, yeah, we wouldn't know, well, I wouldn't know what to do. I'd be totally out of my concept. If, if, even if I went to a church down the road that, that wasn't Baptist, I kind of wouldn't know what to do. And hymn books is a classic one, isn't it, when churches give out hymn books or when to stand. And it's just being very conscious of explaining what we're doing to make it seem like, actually, this is, you know, you're new here and we can help you do that. And I think often churches are brilliant at the welcome on the first level, but it's then building that relationship as they... They go on, but you're right, you get so used to the way things are done, it's hard to see. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and that's, that's different. I mean, it's quite an old saying now, but um, you know, this idea of you, people have to behave uh, and believe, and then you can belong. Mm. Um, but actually, we need people to belong mm. first sometimes before they will believe and then behave. But that can be really difficult for people if there's this underlying culture where they don't even know what it's like to be able to belong in the first mm. place because there's stuff going on that people don't understand. And I mean, you mentioned things like, um, uh, you know, people coming into church and, and when to stand and so on. I, I got our um, people who used to lead worship in the church I was in in Norwich to spend two minutes thinking of all the church words we use so naturally that actually somebody coming in might think, what does that mean? I mean, it comes about basics of scripture, talk about the word. Well, actually, we know that. It's quite, I know what that means straight away, and, and you do. Other people might think, what are they talking about? What is scripture? What, what, what is the word that they're talking about? You know, so it's all of these kind of things that perhaps in, in helping people feel that they can belong, we need to, to think about as well. I think that's often do with a quite an attractional model isn't it the sort of come to us come and be part of, uh, of Sundays or whatever and then hopefully on, on from there uh, and I guess there's a there's another challenge about what it means to to go and be hospital so it's a, uh, hospitable so it's not always sort of come to us come into my space it's I'm, I'm willing to, to come into your space uh, and I think one of the things that I find so challenge about challenging about Jesus's ministry um, I mean you spoke about the religious elite in that video uh, and you just know that if you were doing some kind of ministry uh, with a group of people or in, in a new area and somebody started to say, we, uh, you're risking your reputation here. You know, they're going to imagine that you're, well, let's look at what they accuse Jesus of. They're, they're going to imagine that you're an alcoholic or just going to party or gluttony or it's all to do with, with, with sex workers or prostitutes. Uh, that threat alone would be enough to make most of us completely withdraw. But Jesus was willing to risk that mm -hmm. for the sake of the, the marginalized and, uh, and the lost. And, and that's quite a deep challenge. Mm -hmm. well, we never find Jesus in the center, do we? You know, yeah, we seem we want him to be center of our lives, but we always find him on the margins. He's always hanging out with those that don't naturally gravitate to, to spaces. And, you know, this, this is then followed on by Acts. And so, yes, we've got attractional model of churches now, you know, come here. We're going to do this ministry, we're going to do that. Actually, in the book of Acts, they hung out together, they ate together, they were in and out of each other's houses, and the Lord added to their number daily. Yeah. You know, it wasn't yeah. that attractional model. And I think once we stop doing the ministry, 
and being who God's created us to be in spaces, we might find it a little bit more natural to who we are. And that involves a, a complete value shift, doesn't mm. it? Because I think there are these sort of sacred cows, these sort of, uh, you mentioned the sort of words that we use and the jargon we use, but it goes much deeper than that, doesn't it? These things that we think we have to do uh, or think that we should be good at or know or that people need to know, they can so often get in the way. Uh, and to have the value of you know, the bigger table, of, of inclusion, of welcome, uh, of acceptance, I mean, that's a complete value shift. It's not like tidying up some stuff in terms of the event or the program. Uh, it's a complete value shift, isn't it? Yeah. Fab. Well, if anyone wants to sort of chime in or ask anything or share anything, please do feel free to uh, to come forward as well. Um, I was thinking on on, um, on what you were sharing there about um, Jesus not being at the um, the centre. Uh, you used a phrase in, in the video about Jesus's beautiful strategy, a scandalously diverse mm -hmm. guest list, uh, and then the question. How many of us can say that we're willing to gather with those who dislike, oppose, or displease us? That we would seek fellowship with those we perceive to be our enemies? Uh, and I was wondering, you know, just on the challenge of that, how that begins? You know, where, where does that start? I guess it's noticing who's not there uh, and why. But what, what really strikes me about Jesus is his very last meal with his mates, with his disciples, Judas is there. Now, now, Jesus will have known that he was going to be betrayed because it was prophesied. You know, he knew, the scriptures tell us that, and yet he still had that meal with him. And so my, my challenge has been with churches when they've been coming back after COVID is who were the people you thought of first? Was it those that you know, that you, that you got on with, that you knew would come in? Or was it those that wouldn't actually be in those spaces? If Jesus had space for Judas at his last meal, who were we making space for our first meal together? And, and so it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you don't want to go, right, I, I know I don't like you, so that's why I'm inviting you around for dinner, and we're going to get, you know. But what it does is go, actually, well, what, what do we have in common? What, what can we share? And yet there are times when Jesus, you know, hung out with people where others, I guess, would presume that he would hate their lifestyle because of that. And we do that, don't we, as, as Christians all the time. We kind of have this list of what we don't do and what we don't accept. And, and so, but Jesus was just willing to cross that boundary because the grace of God and the love of God was bigger than that. Uh, and if the worst thing that happens is people say, well, look at that church, look at those, look at those people and the crazy ways they love each other and love the community. Well, like, is that the worst thing that's going to happen? I think isn't there as well as something when we're doing this, can we see the best mm. in people? You know, it, it's so easy, isn't it, to see the things that frustrate us and maybe the things that are said or done which we just look at and think, oh, that, that's really not right. But somewhere is God's image in every person and God loves every person. And if, if I'm to be Christ-like, mm. somewhere I've got to find, where, what, what do I love about this person? What, what can I really respect about them? What can I learn from them? as well there may be bits that i find difficult but i think coming with that attitude of just saying actually maybe the stuff that i can learn from the person maybe the stuff that actually i might not agree with them on everything but i can really respect them for this aspect and for for what they say and what they do about this and um it, there are certain people in in church life i've found that very helpful to try and do that with 
Any names that we could... Um, <laughs> <laughs> None initials? of them in South oh. Wales or, or Norwich <laughs> or Pershore, of course, wherever I have ministered. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, as part of that, there's obviously there's the, the, the seeing the good and seeing the, the image of God in people. Um, I think as well, one of the challenging things about Jesus, um, and we still haven't caught up with this yet, is it, that he, he was unoffended by people's brokenness. You know, he, he didn't um, immediately... You know, take umbrage or, or, or take issue with, with certain things. He may later on, once there'd been an encounter or, or a relationship, uh, challenge things. We see him do that a number of times. But he was unoffended by it. Um, and I think that was the challenge to the religious elite in the day, was, was how, can, how can you... Because they were worried about you know, association with these things. And equally, the other challenge is that Jesus, the most whole person, the holiest person who's ever lived, people were unoffended by his holiness. You know, they were comfortable in his presence, uh, even when at times he was challenging. Mm. Um, and so th I think that's the, uh, the there's, a, there's a nuance there, isn't there? There's a line to walk of, of being unoffended uh, and, you know, being who we are, being confident in, in who we are. It does take confidence to do that, uh, to be settled in your faith, uh, to, know, to know who you are, uh, to, in order to be able to do that. Yeah. I, and I think there's humility as well within that because I, I when I read the scriptures when I read the Bible and I just see Jesus could say words that would challenge people to change there was something about Jesus now maybe it's just possible if I say words to people and they don't change is it just possible they haven't seen enough of Jesus in me mm. you know why is it always you know, I can sit here and look at it and say it's their fault but just maybe actually some of the issues are with me and maybe if they saw more of Jesus in me they would be more challenged through the Holy Spirit now of course I do know that there were people Jesus met who didn't respond to him as well so it's not always that but I think we have to ask ourselves that question as well actually have they seen enough of Jesus yeah. in me am I actually the issue why they haven't changed so. and not everyone Jesus met with was broken some of them just needed to know wholeness I think sometimes we jump in and want to want to fix people and go, okay, well that's an error, or that that needs to be convicted by the Holy Spirit, or that needs. And sometimes they're just being them, and sometimes they just need to be released to be fully alive in who God's made them to be. You know, it's not it's that's not our role to to fix or to judge or to do anything. Yes, we 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 can bring about healing in our words and people seeing Christ in us, but actually it's also just about recognizing that we have an unconscious bias. There may be nothing wrong with the other person. It's just us overcoming that yeah. to, to find a shared narrative. Uh, I think um, you know, it's quite striking, isn't it, with Jesus' hospitality. Uh, he didn't just put on the meal. Mm. Um, you mentioned that, that Judas was there. It always strikes me when Jesus goes around and washes everyone's feet. This, that was at the start of the meal. That Judas was there at that point. I mean, that, that's incredible to, to take that position of, uh, of servanthood. And... Um, that level of servanthood, someone who is about to betray you so deeply. Uh, you used the phrase earlier, um, radical hospitality. Uh, and I think that's, that's got to be, you know, being uh, nice, being welcoming. There's plenty of people that are doing that. You know, plenty of places that will welcome you if you'll go there. The betting shop that you mentioned would love you to walk in and then they'd tell you, tell you all about it. But that radical level of, of hospitality uh, in order that Jesus can be seen um, is far more challenging. I often think about that quote, St. Francis of Assisi, they go into all the world and, and preach the gospel and use words only where absolutely necessary. Uh, and I think a lot of us take comfort in that, that actually I don't have to talk about Jesus, my lifestyle displays him, but 
that's really challenging to actually portray the gospel in actions rather than words is far mm-hmm. more challenging than, than it sounds at first, definitely. Mm-hmm. It, it, it comes back to actually God dwells with us. He doesn't shout on the sidelines. It's so much easier to shout on the sidelines. Like, of course it is, you know, and dictate. But actually, yeah, that, that kind of being and that consistent nature of who we are, I think is rather cosmopolitan. Yeah, and it's costly, it's sacrificial. It's believing the better of one another. We, we see this all over the scriptures. It wasn't just hanging out, but they gave all their resources over. You know, there was, a, there was a radicalness, and they were doing it so that the grace and glory of God can be seen. It was, you know, not caring about their reputation, but going out for that. And I think, yeah, it, it, it's costly, and therefore we avoid it because it will cost us something. It's not easier to do. It's much easier to spend time with those people you like, isn't it? Or where it doesn't cost you anything. But, yeah, that comes down to our calling in, in God. One thing I've been sort of thinking about a lot recently is, you know, with this theme, building a bigger table, uh, there are certain people that I think of straight away, come immediately to mind, that I think it'd be great for them to, to be sat around the table. Um, but there's others that, that just don't like, pop into my mind at all. Uh, and of course there's, you know, a love for all people, a desire for all people, but that's so broad, that's, that's so wide. And it's possible, isn't it, to think that we're being welcoming or accepting, but actually we are only really going after those people who are like us or, or that we like. Uh, what ways do you think we can be helped to see that, to be shown that? Because uh, it's very difficult, isn't it, to, to break through that? I think, I think it starts in prayer, and that's not a cop-out. I, thi- I think, actually, as we change our prayers... so so. Many, many people are still praying for the refugee community from Ukraine and all that's going on there. But actually, we're also to pray for Putin and Russian troops. And actually, when we start praying for that, it helps us see things in other ways. Um, so, so I think when we start praying, and I think it's asking for our eyes to be open. You know, there's that Hillsong song that we probably sung to, to death many years ago of, you know, break my heart for what breaks yours. You know, and actually that, that's a good prayer though, isn't it, to, to do those things. And it, and it starts with saying we don't have all the answers. So maybe sometimes we need to be, go and be the guest in some spaces in order to bring God into those. There's also that uh, passage where Paul talks about we don't longer regard people from mm. a worldly point of view. Um, and that's, that's so challenging. Yeah. Linda? Yeah, if you need to adjust the height of the microphone. <laughs> Now you can look out. If she's taken the mic off the stand, you can really look out. And go walk around. There you go, thanks. Yeah, so I, I wasn't brought up in a classical Christian family. Um, but something made me start going to church when I was seven with my, with my bunny rabbit in the, in the pushchair. Because I would go to the church over the road, because that's the church you went to. Um, and didn't really ever understand anything. But um, something that I... I feel I've observed and I have felt it myself is fear and how come some, so many Christians are afraid to be themselves and also just to see something of themselves in others and think, do you know what, we're not so different and 
if Jesus can save me, then he can do, as you said this morning, far more things greater. And I just think, yeah, it's safe in a church when you know everyone. But how do we overcome the fear? We have to do it in ourselves first before we can help others. But how do we overcome that fear that I believe we all have? Before you go, if you could define that fear, what would you say that fear is? Um, Okay, the the example I'll use is um, watching an alpha video with a nice glass of wine, because I was on my own and and watching it, and thinking, what have I got to do to become this Christian person? I'm just not good enough. They're not going to want me. Loudmouth person who's, you know, not really understood the Bible because nobody ever showed me the Bible. Um, And yet, I heard and I saw through... um, the, the 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 you know the the light of the world with the with no handle on one one side of the door that I'm invited mm. and thinking in my own didn't tell anyone then then okay okay and then let's see and you know coming from somebody as well who's I've I've had far been in pretty dark places in my life and everything but. Jesus has always been the rock, and he's, when I've fallen down, he's picked me up and given me more stamina, given me more ability than I could never, didn't have in my own strength. Mm. So how can, how can we convey that? How can we help people not be afraid and, 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 you know, it's not a gentleman's club. I know that's probably politically un- incorrect, but if you get my meaning, we, it's not exclusive. We are taught to, you know, Jesus wants everyone to come, and yet we are still holding back. Mm. And I just would like to, you know, your views on how can we allow ourselves to... Uh, overcome that fear and just be more I don't know, allow God's grace to Mm. thank you, we thank Linda for sharing, that was great, thank you I think there are a lot of fears, definitely Um, I I wonder sometimes if if we fear what that sort of radical hospitality will will mean um, it's amazing, isn't it? You, you look at the group of people that Jesus gathered around him. Um, you know, you got everything from these religious zealots that want to uh, storm the palace and take back the temple, all, all that kind of stuff, uh, right down to a tax collector who, in their eyes, has sold his soul, you know, working for the enemy. And yet Jesus gathers these people together. And so for Jesus, connecting with people didn't mean that he was condoning mm everything about them and I wonder if sometimes if that's a fear that, w- that we have as churches uh, is that we're if we're saying everyone's welcome are we saying that anything goes that everything's okay uh, and trying to get over that fear is, is, is probably massive as well I guess so and I think fear 
yeah, and also it's the fear of rejection, isn't it? If I if I speak out, if I say this, are you going to reject it? Are you going to judge me? Are you going to think that I think a certain way or do a certain thing? Someone once told me that fear is excitement on pause, and that that's really helped me. You know, because if you think of it like in terms of a roller coaster or doing something like that, it's that fear at first, and then and then it's the excitement, and that's helped me to reframe it to kind of go, actually, I'm feeling this because something amazing is going to happen. And, yeah, when you share your faith, sometimes people don't respond. I've never had anyone be massively disrespectful about it. But I think just sharing your story. I think sometimes we say, oh, you know, people have got to come to church. And, you know, I think coming to church is great. But sometimes we're, we're fearful of what someone's going to think if people come into church and people are raising their hands and doing all this and it's not explained in context. That, that doesn't stop the sharing of the story. Um, and I think we just need more loud mouths who, who aren't assured of the Bible. You know, not in a way, but actually because we do know Scripture and we are on a journey. I don't think any of us can say, well, I hope we wouldn't say, yes, we know it and we've got it sold and sorted. Thank you very much. We're all on a journey of, of rediscovering. And I think the more, the more people that are honest in their pain up front, you know, helps others to, to relate. But, yeah. And, uh, and I wonder, I mean, there were, there were a number of different levels of fear, I think, that you were talking about, from the person who's going into church to will I be accepted, to inviting someone to church, how will that be received? If we look at how somebody, how, how we receive people in church, I, I think it's probably fair to say that um, we're not always very good at change. Uh, and actually, the reality is, when people come in from different backgrounds uh, and with different, different ways of thinking and different gifts, it, it brings change and it can be uncomfortable uh, and um, that can be a challenge for us but maybe we need to be aware of that and, and some of our reactions to it and I think there's, there's a lot of ways in which we give off certain attitudes towards people who come in differently that we don't even realise are there because we're not aware of it ourselves uh, and so I wonder if sometimes you know one of the things that we we can do is we can we can read up on stuff that um, I've been reading up on stuff about unconscious bias mm. and the different ways we can be unconsciously biased in the way that we think and uh, and just reading that and then applying it to the situations that I'm in opens my eyes to new things mm. and perhaps if we do more of that Perhaps if we get feedback, you know, we tend to get feedback. We talked about every church is welcoming or thinks they're welcoming before because we take the feedback from those people who feel comfortable and stay. I wonder how good we are at getting feedback from those people who don't feel comfortable and don't stay. Now, obviously, that's a lot harder to get feedback from, but maybe we begin to learn a lot more and maybe we would adapt how we do things if we heard more from people who don't feel comfortable. I wonder if there's a, um, you could have this title if you want it, a book in this, it's sort of the, the, the fears of small tabled churches. That's good, isn't it? Yeah, thanks. I, th I thought it was quite good. So I keep yeah. that one. Okay, I'll keep that one. <laughs> Cop copyright. Um, so, yeah, so there'd be fears definitely of you know, what change would mean and, and do we, are we condoning everything uh, if, we're, if we're seeking to, to connect more? Do you think there are other, other fears that churches have? Um, I wonder for some if it's about control as well. Mm. If, I can, if I can hold the reins and define the boundaries, um, I, I won't lose control. Absolutely. It, I, th I think our fear, it, it, churches and, and as establishments and structures are all based 
on, on fear and power. Actually, if I've got to make more room at the table, does that, that means I get less time to talk, you know, or, or I have to listen to someone else. And if I have to listen to someone else, then my views might change, you know, or they might, they might say something that, that I, I don't agree with, and then I've got to work out why I don't agree with it. And so, so I, th I think it's a, it's a fear of, of giving up our place of power and control, because actually what we're saying in building a bigger table is not you're, that you're going to lose your seat. What we're saying is someone will be given an equal voice to yours. Yeah. And then we go, well, well, should they have an equal voice to mine? Is that right? What are their credentials? You know, I've been in this place for so many years and they just... And yeah, we have to, we have to drop our pride and, and recognise Christ in, in everyone. And, you know, and I, think, I think we need to be careful. You know, we're not condoning behaviour here. Actually, what right have we got to do that? You know, God is judge. And, and so I think we, we just need to lean in on the Holy Spirit. Trust God is big enough to convict. I know I wasn't brought up in a Christian home. God convicted me and brought me to a point of salvation at 17. If he can do that, he can do it for others. And so we need to trust, lean in on God in that and be willing and be comfortable enough in our, in our place in Christ give voice to others, mm. I think. Mm. And I think, you know, looking at another aspect of fear away from power, one that I come across is that actually people want to be honouring God and holy. And there's that fear when you say about condoning, that actually what I don't want to do is I, I don't want to be watering down or, or be seen to agreeing with something that isn't right. And of course, when you look back at the New Testament with for the, for the Pharisees, for the teachers of the law, they actually were really trying to uphold God's honor. You know, they, they were really trying to say, look, we, we look back at our Old Testament past and we see that we lost God's blessing when we were disobedient. So we're gonna do everything we can to be obedient to God. And I think we have that, and there's a, there's a right aspect of that um, that we need, and then there's a wrong aspect that takes it too far. And trying to find the balance between the two is a real challenge. You know, how do we keep honouring God um, and not watering down the gospel, but at the same time giving enough space to allow people to journey and be uh, and allow the Holy Spirit to work in people's mm -hmm. lives? Uh, and I think many of us probably find that a hard balance to achieve between the two. Yeah. So I, I would not twist that on its head and say, actually, I think it's. If, if we see the fruits of the Spirit in someone's life, if we don't respect them, we're actually disrespectful to God. And I, I see it that way. And so, so from my point of view, it's not me. You know, I think God's big enough that I don't need to, <laughs> I don't need to protect his honour. <laughs> I think he's capable of doing that. And, and so understanding that if I don't show respect in this situation, then I'm disrespecting God because God is in that person. And I think that's helped me to reframe attitudes that I've had in the past that actually this is who can and can't be in the table and, and that's just something that's helped yeah and, and i'd agree i mean there should always be the respect mm. there for the other person we always should be looking for the the christ in them mm. um but then there's that balance somewhere between as you said jesus said harsh words to people at mm. times uh, how do we how do we keep that balance between we hold respect mm. but we speak truth yeah. as well 
Because the holdout back would be a lack of respect, wouldn't mm -hmm. it? Actually, uh, and I, I, as you were sharing there about the letting the Holy Spirit lead the process, it kind of reminds me. I love the story of when Peter gets back to Jerusalem and tells the story about Cornelius getting saved from Acts somewhere. Somebody tell me where it's from. Uh, and um, they're like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> and he's like, oh, don't blame me. It was the Holy Spirit. Uh, and um, so the Holy Spirit sort of led that, but it, it took some, it took a person, mm. didn't it, um, to be there? And, it, and then suddenly, then they weren't talking about the Gentiles; mm. they were talking about this this person. Yeah, yeah. Gareth. I was brought up in a Baptist church, although my father was a Presbyterian. He had been an elder there for many years, church secretary there, and a local preacher. When it came to Sunday morning in the Baptist church for communion, he wasn't allowed to take communion. It was a closed table. And I just wonder how much of that is still around in, in Baptist circles. And um, a few years ago, when there was a change of ministry in my home church, we went there and they read out a statement before communion, uh, stating clearly who could take communion and so on. And my teenage sons, with a couple of cousins of theirs, they were traveling back to Cardiff and those, so they thought they'd call in there for the Sunday evening service. And uh, they had sat in their pew and someone went on to them, well, it is communion tonight, so you won't be allowed to take communion if you haven't been baptized. Now, I think at that time, both my boys had been baptized, uh, but they weren't going to stay there if the other cousins couldn't be accepted at the table. And uh, that, that bothers me. I think it's opening up a little bit now but still very narrow. And just one amusing incident, I'm sorry I'm taking the time, but um, I was involved in a, a river baptism about five or six years ago. And uh, as it happened, it was uh, uh, my daughter-in-law was one of the people being baptized because she, she knew I was involved. Uh, and so she came forward for that. But after the service, uh, Rosa and I were in conversation with one of the ladies from my home church. And uh, I'm one of eight children. And she said, now, how many of your family haven't been baptized? Well, they're all members of churches. They hadn't been baptized. And, uh, and she recognized my father was a wonderful Christian. She said, you know, I think when they get to heaven, Jesus will tell them off. <laughs> now, you know, the broader table or the open table is something that's very near to my heart. And uh, I would love to see it everywhere. Just wonder how often it's closed in some of our churches still? Mm. Yeah, Big question. No, thank you. It's, it's brilliant. And it's a really good question. And there's, there's two forms of this. And I say this because I know a friend who um, experienced closed communion. And it made them more intrigued of what was going on. Oh, this is something sacred. This is something special. And so it's seen in a, a positive. The experience for her was, was positive. I think I love the words that are in Gathering to Worship, which is as close to a Baptist liturgy book as we've got. And it says, come if you love God a lot, or come if you love him a little. And I, I, I love those words, because I think it's in the revealing. We know this, don't we, on the road to a mess. It's as Jesus broke the bread that he was revealed. Mm -hmm. And so that's always my prayer in this. And I think in churches, 
we fall into the trap of saying it's Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus the Holy Spirit, Jesus plus this. It's just Jesus. Um, and yeah, it, unfortunately, it's been used as a, as a power tool. Again, from good places, we, wanna, we don't want to take the Lord's table in vain, so therefore we want to come with the right attitude. But I think just allowing people to make that choice themselves is, is enough, you know. And, you know, we always have this conversation often in churches I've been in around children. Can children take it? And so what I decided to do very early on, whenever I lead communion... I always have communion, and then I have chocolate. And I use chocolate instead of grapes. Amen. Yeah, exactly. Like, because if someone said, I'll oh, have grapes for the kids, and if the kids don't want to take communion, take a grape. That's not really a choice, is it? So, so what I said, and we did it with the adults as well, and we're like, actually, if you, if you love God and want to love him more, if you see Jesus revealed in these elements, then please come and partake. But if you don't, but you don't want to miss out on the blessing of God then take a chocolate, but you can't take both because there's a blessing in one and blessing in the other. And that frees people up to say, actually, I want a space at this table, but I'm not sure where I belong, but I still want to be in on God's blessing. And so what that does is it just opens it up for, for the conversation while for those that see it as a very sacred moment, keeping that, that sacred thing. And we, we started it for the children, but it worked for the adults as well brilliantly. And I think with that as well, I um, you know I love the words from, uh, as well about you know for those who love the Lord or love the Lord a little, and also what I don't know is what's going on in someone's heart at that particular moment. Now, even since we have begun the service, maybe God's been speaking to that person. So I will often add in something along the lines of, even if you have made a commitment right now, or if you made a commitment 90 years ago, or more you're very welcome, because I don't know what's going on in someone's heart at, at that time. I, I think uh, you mentioned baptism as well. What I, what I learned uh, early on is I have my theology, and I have my ideas of the way things should be, but God doesn't always work in the way that I expect. Uh, and to use that as an example, I hadn't been in ministry very long before somebody came and said they wanted to come into church membership, and so I had a chat with them. And um, They'd never been baptized in any form. Now, of course, open membership is designed for really for people maybe who've had baptism in another uh, denomination and uh, haven't had believers' baptism, but we still, they feel called to that place. Well, um, we're probably the only denomination that lets somebody become a member without any form of baptism whatsoever. Uh, so theologically, I have an issue with that. But, but the person was actually, as I was in conversation with them and listening to them, they were afraid of their head going underwater and they didn't want to be baptized. And I, I tell you what, I was amazed how many people I've, I've spoken to where that's been the issue. Um, but what I decided to do is, well, we will accept them into membership. Uh, and a year later, they decided they wanted to be baptized. Now, my theology told me they should be baptized before they became a member, uh, or at the same time they became a member of being baptized. But I just felt in that situation, and I felt in others since, sometimes God works outside of my theology. Praise God for that. <laughs> it, um, and there's something there about seeing the person as well, mm. isn't there? Not, not just thinking about the issue mm. uh, or the circuit, you know, actually seeing the person. And Jesus was amazing at doing that. And then uh, I love the story of when the, the woman sort of burst into Simon the Pharisee's party. Um, and Simon starts to judge Jesus, and um, Jesus says to Simon, do you see this woman? 
And I love that Jesus saw the person that was there, not the problem or the issue. Or he just saw the person. Uh, and that's a massive step for us because of mm. some of the unconscious biases we've, mm. we've been talking about. Um, I wonder with, with some of the things that we've been sharing, if there are many more deeper conversations to have um, in many of these areas. And some of the conversations aren't easy to have because of the deeply held yes. theological positions we hold or the traditions that we have. Uh, how do you think we can start to have those kind of conversations about who's welcome, who's not welcome, is, uh, and, and are we in the way of people meeting with Jesus? I think, I think yes, <laughs> we are in the way. Uh, and, and we know that because there's not mass revival and communities aren't transformed. And, and you know, where, where's the barrier? And, and we have to be honest enough to look at ourselves in that. Um, and so I think in order to have the conversation within, within the structures, within where we're at, we need to start from the place of listening. Um, and we also need to be, be bold enough and courageous enough to say we don't know all the answers. I love, I love what you said about God works outside of my theology sometimes. And, and I think that's it. It's kind of going, actually, we, God is not bound by our structures or our things. God will move. And do we want to be part of what God is doing or, or not? And, and that's the question, but it starts from listening and being willing to hear and see Christ in the other. I love that, you know, someone says, do, do you see this woman? Yes, I see. It's about being seen sometimes. So for me, it starts with us not trying to convince someone or trying to win an argument or trying to outverse each other with scripture. It comes from listening. And in that, we hear the heart of God. And I, I wonder as well with that, one of the things that is helpful for us to do, we can so often zoom in on the area we disagree with someone on and forget all the areas that are often far more important about what we do agree on. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and sometimes maybe we need to, to remind ourselves of what we agree on mm. with the other person before we focus on what we disagree on. Mm. Well, guys, I, I feel like it's only 7 o'clock now. I, I feel like we could talk all night. I feel like we've, we've scratched the surface. Someone's getting on their bike to go home. Uh, but uh, it's been so great to chat. Thank you so much uh, for your time, and thank you for, for everyone that's shared. Uh, it'd be great just to, to close in, in prayer together. Um, Gethin, I can see you're here. You've had a night off. Do you mind, would, you, would you close in prayer for us? Would that be all right? Great. Did we get the, get the mic to you? Is that all right? Yeah. You have to wrestle it off, Gareth. There you go. Thank you, Gethin. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for uh, stimulating conversation uh, and this great idea of building a bigger table um, and imagining who, who's around that table, Lord, and the people we know. I guess that's the challenge that's being put before us this evening is to imagine people in our lives uh, who we'd like to see around that table. Um, so help us, Lord, as we leave this place to... to Start, begin, start building these bigger tables in our own homes um, and in our own churches. Lord, pray that this idea of Haley's really takes off, uh, that it stimulates conversation, that it gets our imaginations fired up. Uh, and more than that, Lord, that we even just start having conversations with people who are very different to ourselves mm -hmm. and just seeing common ground and seeing the image of God in everyone, Lord, and the image of Jesus reflected. And um, 
and trusting your Holy Spirit, as we've been uh, reminded of tonight. So, Lord, thank you for tonight. And bless Haley as she carries this message and may it do something really powerful in our midst. Mm. In Jesus' name, mm. amen. 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 Thank you. And thank you all for, for being here tonight. I think Haley would be the first to say she'd love to continue the, the conversation. Yeah. So at the end, you're going to see some uh, the places you can contact her on social media. And uh, she'd love to touch base with you there. And do you want to say anything about your selfie board? Uh, yes, there is a selfie board. Please do uh, take a photo of yourself in that. That's, I'm just is a way of kind of connecting across the Baptist uh, movement. So you can't take a photo of yourself in it. If you can get someone to take a photo and then uh, tag me in, it's at, at Rev Haley on all of the social media channels. Please do like, follow, and subscribe. <laughs> can we thank Haley for being with us tonight? Thank you.